Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, work-life balance expert, Deb Crow. Join Deb every week as she interviews the co-authors and experts from all over the globe. They'll share their insights into self-empowerment with their personal stories and real-life experiences that will help you on your own personal development and touch every area of your life. Join Deb every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Eastern. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Change Book Radio Show. It's Deb Crow. I am finally pleased to tell you that spring has arrived in Canada. We have double-digit numbers, and it's shining. It's just a beautiful, beautiful spring day. So we are in a brand new month of May, and I am so honored to tell you about our month for the month of May. It is the Hope After Brain Injury Network. They have social presence on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest as well as the YouTube channel. And one of the things that I love the most is they are a free digital resource to survivors, caregivers, members of the professional community. So if you know someone who has sustained a traumatic brain injury or is caregiving for someone, this is a wonderful, wonderful and I want to thank David Grant for his vision and for supporting us for the month of May. I have posted their audio library for you as well as a free link to sign up for their monthly magazine, which is full of stories and insights and research. And it's wonderful, very near and dear to my heart as my oldest daughter has a brain injury and I have found it to be a wonderful resource. On that note, you about my guest today. It is with pleasure from book number three that I get to interview Kurt David. The interviewing. So how wonderful is it for him to sit back and relax and be on the other side of the mic? Kurt is the creator of the acclaimed TV show and book from Glory Days, which chronicles the lives of Hall of Fame, All-Star, and World about their lives after pro sports and he is represented by one of the most prestigious talents in Hollywood. Kurt, welcome to the Changebook Radio Show. Absolutely my pleasure Deb, it's an honor to be here and, and uh, look forward to talking with your loyal listeners and, and seeing what we can do to help. Well like I said this is a treat for you and for me because I People that are seasoned interviewers like you are. So let's talk about the Change Book series for one moment. When you were contacted by Jim Britt and Jim Lutz, what decision led you to writing your amazing chapter in book three called My Change and just being part of our global community? Yeah, yeah. the opportunity came uh, when I was looking at writing another book. In fact, I had this idea, to be honest, uh, this idea about change has been in my head for quite a while. And I started writing a chapter. I started writing, writing about transition. And when I got a phone call um, many, many uh, months before the book came out from the gentleman by the name of uh, Jim Britt, it was like 
he called me up and he's like, hey, I got this idea about a change book and we're doing co-authors. And I says, well, I've already got a chapter written. And he said, perfect, this will fit right in. And so it really was an open door that, that the timing was perfect because of the fact that I had already started that chapter. And it certainly goes far before that as far as the idea and the concept. And we can get into that throughout the interview. But um, I know that uh, for the change book itself, it was a, a phone call from Jim Britt that opened up that door. And it was grateful because the timing was perfect. Well, I must say, I, I'm not sure if you know, but we are now on book 16. Uh, we are 300 co-authors now in 26 countries. So you were back in the beginning in book three, I was in book five. And it's just so amazing to fast forward a few years and see that we are now on book 16. And That's I feel honored yeah. to be part of this diversified, talented global community, including yourself. That's amazing. I mean, just to, to see the progress of this. And I remember the conversation of saying, hey, we've got a couple books out so far, but we're going to keep going. And here we are now on number 16. Title of your chapter is My Change. And I, I was very intrigued when I read this because you had decided to take the word rules and set that up as an acronym and break that down into and I would just like to talk to you about that for a moment first of all where did the idea come for this chapter into a larger book or where did this kind of sense of development come from yeah, I, I have to go way back, actually. I had an opportunity to play professional basketball, and that was 30 pounds ago. I don't go by years. I go by pounds. And as a result, um, like I tell people, 100% of professional athletes ultimately lose their job, right? It's an undeniable fact. At some point, we're all done. And when my career as a player was over, it was very sobering for me. It was something that I just wasn't prepared for. I, I felt like, it, you know, I thought I could play forever, so to speak. And then all of a sudden you realize you're faced with no income, no job, and a total identity change. And that was really the, the premise, and that was the, the motivation as well as the, the seminal moment that I realized, wow, this is, this is real, right? And move forward many years later, um, and I can go into the full story. I don't know how much time we have. You want me to go to the full transition of that and the full story of how this was motivated, my backstory? Absolutely. So I, I you know, went from playing professional basketball in Europe to uh, having a knee surgery and realizing that I needed to look for a real job. And as a result, I was angry. I mean, I'm sitting on my parents' couch following knee surgery and realizing, boy, it's over, you know, now what? And so I, w I was upset. I took a year off. I'm like, I'm just going to take some time to kind of regroup. Well, partway through that year, I started getting my senses back again and realizing, you know, I'm tired of just sitting around being angry. I need to do something productive again. And so partway through that year, I started going to grad school to work on a master's in counseling. And uh, it was one of the best decisions I ever made because as a result, I finished my master's in counseling. And uh, uh, that set me up for this idea of, of transition in sports. And so I have a personal experience as an athlete, but also have the professional as a counselor to understand this, this idea of transition, and, and particularly it was sports transition at that time. 
and many moved forward many years from there. I, middle of the night, I had an idea of, boy, wouldn't it be neat to sit down with other former athletes and hear their story of change and their story of transition? And as a result, my first book that I wrote was exactly that. It was interviewing former Hall of Fame, all-star world champion athletes about their transition out of pro sports. And I wanted to focus on mostly athletes that had found success. Well, the book was such a hit here in Metro Detroit, became a regional bestseller, and uh, now it's become a TV show in which I interview former professional athletes about life after pro sports. But the reason for bringing that up is that through this process of, of, you know, my own playing days, becoming a counselor, interviewing other former athletes, I realized there was a commonality of success for those people that were having success. In other words, I can give you some exit stats that will be very sobering about professional sports. Uh, the first is that 100% of professional athletes ultimately lose their job. I mentioned that already. Uh, but 25% of NFL players are broke within the first year out. 78% of NFL players are bankrupt within two years. 60% of NBA players are broke within five years. And there's an 80% divorce rate from job loss to disaster. That can be the reality for pro athletes. And so looking at that, looking at those transitions, I started looking at how do, how do people have success again after this transition? And I found there was a commonality of success. And those are the five things. That's where I created those rules because you know, I have a simple mind, and so for me, it's like, okay, how do I remember these five commonalities? And that's where I created the acronym, R-U-L-E-S. Each letter stands for something. Each letter means something. And, Deb, the amazing part is, I, you know, I started working with simply athletes, but then realized this could apply to anybody in life that's facing a change or a transition. These five commonalities of success, they don't just apply to a, a Hall of Fame athlete that is no longer playing sports. They could apply to an organization or in, individual or business that's going through a transition and change. And as a result, that's why the opportunity to write and be part of the change book was even better because it wasn't simply a sports platform. It was more than that with all the other co-authors that have uh, had great successes in their areas as well. are not surprising yet shocking to me at the same time. And I just want to segue for a minute and talk to you about the athletes that also endure concussions and head injury because it's it's a nice um, kind of mix for what we're having our sponsor. And I've worked in the field of brain injury rehabilitation for 28 years. And that's just a whole separate kettle of fish for these athletes. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about the, there's a lot of physical that we talk about in pro sports, the injuries, the knees, the ankles, the necks, but certainly the brain is something that's getting more and more tread right now. It's getting more and more attention to TBIs, the traumatic brain injuries and cognitive issues that athletes are having more and more. And you understand that because you, you, you know, you understand that space and it's, it's very real. And the more technology, the more medical technology advances, the more we're able to realize and, and measure the damages that have been done as a result. Well, and those staggering percentages that you gave us, it's all a kind of two-pronged outcome. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt. It's it's loss of self and I think just the dynamic of where they are in society on a psychosocial level. Do you think that's kind of the foundation to these staggering percentages for all the different that you listed yeah. for athletes? 
Yeah, I think what well, you know, as far as you look at the financial, there's no question that there's all sorts of factors that that uh, cause those kind of sobering stats. But one of the most important things to understand is I don't care how much money anybody makes, if you take a 95% pay cut. That's a major lifestyle change, and that's what happens with, with these athletes is that, you know, they take a major lifestyle change. There's a very small window of opportunity to make the kind of money that professional athletes make. It's a very small window. I mean, the average pro athlete is 3.2 years, and so that's a very small window to make that kind of money if you are lucky enough. I mean, we could go back even more, Deb, and talk about the stats to become a pro athlete. I mean, less than one-tenth of one percent of high school athletes will ever play pro. I mean, less than one-tenth of one percent. If you are lucky enough to play in a Division I college, uh, those stats are very low as well. 1.7%, according to the NCA, 1.7% of basketball players will eventually play pro. I mean, it varies by sport, anywhere from 2% to 1.5%. Uh, but either way, it's very long shot, to uh, very much a long shot in order to become a pro athlete. And then once you are, you're catered to. I mean, it's a lifestyle in which you have people doing your laundry, you have people feeding you, you have people buying you cars. And I, I had a, a pro athlete one joke. He, he said, boy, why is it that when I'm making all this money, everybody wants to give me free stuff, but when I no longer make this kind of money, I have to buy everything. Well, and I, I guess sitting back as a citizen, I it concerns me. Like, what prepares these young athletes on a psychological level for such a thrust into a national sports organization and the fame and and all of that comes with it? What is, what is your opinion, being a previous athlete, but also now that you're interviewing and and hosting your TV show with these athletes? Yeah, you know, there's a couple things that I, I see. Certainly, the leagues are, are taking more of a stance on how do we help our athletes after pro sports, but mostly the stand is still it's up to the agent and, their, and the athlete to take care of their own issues uh, afterwards. I mean, they'll, they'll do some lip service and try to help out, but I haven't seen, uh, you know, the NFL is probably the most forefront right now where they're doing more and more things for athletes and former athletes and alumni. But um, I think in answer to your question, Deb, I think really more and more – there's not much that can prepare a 19, 20, 22-year-old kid. Um, I'll give you an example. I interviewed somebody out of Ottawa, Canada, by the name of Doug Smith. Doug was a number two draft pick by the LA Kings in the National Hockey League at 19 years old. And so Doug went from Ottawa, Canada to Los Angeles. Uh, he went from, like you said, little town to, to big town, living on the beach, uh, having a Porsche, having a big pocket full of money, and just living a life at 19 years old. I mean, what can prepare you for that? And and thinking that he knew everything, but realized, boy, I didn't. And in Doug's transition, I mean, his story is amazing, that he went from being a pro athlete to a quadriplegic in a heartbeat when he went headfirst into the boards during a game. And uh, talking about changing your life drastically and, and all the financial issues as a result and emotional uh, you know, the good news is that isn't where the story ends. Doug had found great success and has found great success since then as a result of his studying of, of the brain and spinal injuries. He's actually now walking, uh, and, uh, you know, he still has some moments of quadriplegic um, from his spinal injury, but he's actually walking through all of his physical therapy and research he's done on spinal cord injury. He's a motivational author and speaker now in Canada there, and so... It, you know, stories like that, you hear stories of kids that just aren't prepared for, for that kind of lifestyle, and when they have an adverse reaction, adverse situation like Doug, it's even that much more difficult um, afterwards when it's over. 
Uh, I fully agree with you, and and I'm happy to hear you mention Doug because I actually know who he is. He's kind of taken what's happened to him and paying it forward, and and educating and writing, and that's that that's a a success story in itself. Thank you for mentioning that. So let's let's have some fun with our listeners and walk them through your acronym of rules from your chapter in the change book. And you have given each letter in the word rules uh, a, a meaning or a representation. Let's start with R and refocus and just give our, our listeners an overview. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, first of all, change is one of the few constants in life, right? We talk about that. Change, you know, what is it? Death and taxes and change, right? Those are the guarantees in life that those things are going to happen at some point. And so we're all face change at some point. And so looking at how can we best, not that we can avoid change, but how do we best handle change and face it like a champion? And, and so the first letter is R, which stands for refocus. What I found, Deb, is that people that refocus have a better transition or change. And what does that mean? Well, the first key to refocusing is taking a look at your current goals and developing new goals. In other words, part of the refocus is developing new goals. Um, as an example, uh, there was a, back in 1920, uh, in the United States, there was an 18th Amendment that was enacted. And I don't drink beer, and I don't, you know, I'm not here to advocate one way or another about drinking or not drinking, but in 1920, Imagine the 1,273 breweries in America were all of a sudden told as a result of prohibition that they could no longer sell their wares, right? Talk about change. Talk about adversity. Well, as a result of that prohibition, through that time, there was going from 1,273 breweries to all of a sudden it was the 244 by the time it was over. So rather than looking at, boy, you know, we know what happened to the 80% that closed, what happened to the 20% that remained open? And as I did more research, I discovered one of the companies that was opened by a couple German immigrants, they had a refocus. They had a time during that adverse change and transition. They said, boy, we got to refocus. we got to take a look at our current goals and reevaluate them and set new goals. And as a result, they went from brewing beer to brewing malt extract and ginger ale. They even were making car and truck parts at that time. So their refocus allowed them to change, go through that change, that adverse change. And as a result, that now Anheuser-Busch is the largest brewery in the world as a result of their refocus back in 1920 when Prohibition hit. Uh, and so that's one example of that refocus. And so look, take a look at current goals and then looking at what it is that we could do to um, reestablish new goals. And, and as a result of that, you develop a new passion and purpose as a result, too. Absolutely. And, and keeping, it doesn't matter, like you write, if it's desired, planned, or adverse, uh, refocus is going to be the first step to uh, seeing that success with the change. Now, the U in rule stands for using network. And what did you mean when you were writing that? Yeah, the, the using network, what I discovered is that most people, especially pro athletes, but most people have a vast network of people around them, people that either professional or personal. And, and in that network, one of the things that after having to refocus is looking at who in my network might be able to help me accomplish this, this new goal that I have, this new purpose as a result. And I always want to qualify. I want to be careful when I bring this up, though, Deb, because I want to make sure people understand that I'm not talking about using and abusing people, right? That's not what I'm advocating here. I'm talking about finding people in your network that might be able to help you accomplish 
the refocus and the goals that you've just established. And one of the things I always recommend is when you do find those people, create a win-win relationship that will help both accomplish the objectives. And so one of the action points is to list people in your network that might help you accomplish your goals. In other words, the first step is knowing what your goals are, and that's defining those in your refocus. The step, second step is using that network, tapping into that network to help accomplish your goals. As an example, I brought up about Anheuser-Busch earlier, um, and, and they had a network. They had a vast network of distribution from their previous life as a brewery, and, and when Prohibition hit, they still tapped into that network to say, hey, we got malt extract, we have ginger ale, we have car parts, and they used that network to still distribute the goods that they did despite their refocus as a result. Um, I also have talked to a pro hockey player. This guy was a uh, all-star player with the Red Wings as well as some other teams throughout his career. And before he was finished playing hockey, he went and got his Series 7. He became a financial advisor. And as a result, when he got out of pro hockey, he told his vast network of people, hey, guess what, I'm no longer playing pro hockey, but now I'm doing this financial advising. And he was able to build his financial advising business very quickly by tapping into his network as a result. Well, and I just want to talk to you for a minute about that. And I think regardless if you're a preneur, why do you think people struggle with asking within their network for support or opportunity? I see it very much as a lingering fear-based behavior. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, that's a great it's a great point, Deb. I think one of the first things is understanding what we're asking for. I mean, if, the clearer we have a focus and, and a refocus, the better it is, because then as a result of that refocus, we'll know what we're asking for. I think part of it is not knowing what we're going to ask for, because we don't have clarity on what our goals are and what we're looking for. I think that would be the first thing. Uh, the step, second thing is, you know, there's a behavioral side of it, which I think is what you're alluding to, is there's a, you know, how do I ask for help when I'm this proud person, or I have this, you know, I think I can do it, right? And that's okay. I mean, there's a certain uh, benefit of that, but also understanding that there is a time to ask for help. I mean, you're talking to a guy that has a master's in counseling, and so that's one of the that's one of the challenges is getting people to understand why well, I need help. And so that is one of the challenges, and, and finding those people that you can trust is one of the most important things in order to do that. that Jim Britt's going to love what the L stands for in your word rules, and it stands for let go, which is one of his favorite topics to talk about. So how did you frame that in your in your chapter in the change? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no question, bar none, it, letting go, which is the L in the acronym rules, is the most difficult aspect of transition for professional athletes, not even close. I mean, think about it. It's in the marrow of our bone to never give up right? We just keep trying, get knocked down seven, get up eight. And so letting go is very difficult. Um, and, and all of us have uh, things that we need to let go of, right? As a pro athlete, it was pretty simple. I got to let go of the fact that I'm a pro athlete. I'm no longer a pro athlete. I'm no longer making that kind of income. I no longer have this lifestyle. Um, but for anybody who's going through a change, letting go of the good as well as the bad, sometimes there's successes we have to let go of in order to understand to move forward. In other words, boy, you know what? I was the best in my group uh, for the last five years, and now I'm no longer. And, and how do I handle that? I have to let go in order to move forward. And so really letting go is imperative in order to move forward. And it's an emotional, it's, it's an actual, it can be a decision. I mean, letting go is actually a decision. And the first question to ask is, what is it I need, do I need to let go of in order to move forward with this change? 
Um, some companies, I'll give you an example. I spoke to an organization that they were moving offices. They literally, their whole office was moving. And so there was people going through a, a transition because their office was going to be very different. They were going to go from having this office to all of a sudden I have a cubicle or, or whatever the new setup was. And so letting go of the fact that, you know what, well, I'm not going to have a window anymore in my office or I'm not going to have, you know, this person next to me anymore. I mean, it might be something as simplistic as that or even more complex of, of a pro athlete saying, hey, my career is over, or a CEO saying my career is over and I need to move on. Taking a look at what is it I need to let go of is always the first question. The first and the hardest, I believe. Right. Now, <laughs> let, the letter E in rules is for successful change, which stands for execute. Tell us about that. Yeah, what, you know, it's kind of it goes hand in hand with the letting go that that we have things we have to let go of, but also once we do let go, we have to continue to execute and continue to go through our actions. In other words, it's not a one and done type thing. Going through a transition or change in life is not a one and done, as in many things in life. It's something you have to continue to execute over and over and over again. And so it might take continual refocusing and continual uh, resetting of goals and using my network and letting go before I truly have success. And that's what I found is that it's not a one and done, that you have to continue to execute your actions. As an example, um, I, I'm a history buff, and so I love learning from history. And, and if you look at the Roman Empire, when the Roman generals came home from their conquering lands after winning wars, and they literally had these parades. It was like equivalent to our Super Bowl parades in America today. So in other words, when we have these Super Bowl parades, that would have been equivalent to what the Roman generals had back in the day when they'd come home from a conquering land. And it was such a big deal that these generals would be on the chariots and going through the streets and getting all their accolades. Their families and kids would be dressed in white. But if you look in history, you can read that as these generals are going through these big parades and, and being praised and accolades, there's somebody on the chariot with them chirping in their ear the whole time saying, all glory is fleeting. All glory is fleeting. In other words, boy, that's great. You accomplished that. What's next, right? And so, you know, that's part of this executing and understanding that it's not a one and done. I'll give you another great example. I interviewed somebody that was a high school All-American out of Washington, D.C., considered the best in, in, in high school basketball for all the country. He went on to have an All-American uh, college career at Syracuse University, considered one of the best in the, college, in the college ranks. He then went on to become a number one draft pick in the NBA, and then he went on to become an NBA Hall of Famer. And after he became an NBA Hall of Famer, he developed a $500 million a year business, and then he became the mayor of Detroit. And so Mayor Bing continued to execute over and over and over again. He could have easily rested on his laurels and said, you know, I'm a high school All-American or I'm a college All-American or, gee, I'm an NBA Hall of Famer or I built a $500 million a year business. He didn't. He continued to execute over and over again throughout his change, throughout his life. And even to this day, now that he's not mayor of Detroit, he has an inner city mentoring program that he's helping inner city kids with success and making good choices. And so, you know, he's a, he's a good anal analogy of what execute means because it means to continue over and over again. It's not just a one and done and having success through transition. Well, and I, I love that example for many reasons. I, I often hear people say, you know, I'm too old to learn or I'm too tired. And I think if we just reflect on who we've become in the process on this journey of life and all that we've done, 
take those transferable skills and pay it forward. To me, I just don't think life gets any better than that. Yeah, no question. No question. And learning that, and that's something that you want to get out to the audience as well and your listeners. And and, and that's one of the neat things about the, the, the series, the, the Change Book series, is that it, it each each author has their own little taste on, on topics and, and subjects. And that's going to be enjoyable for you to be able to hear all these and, and learn and, and help your audience learn all these different aspects that everybody's bringing to the table in the books. Well, I don't know how old you are, Kurt, but I had a set of encyclopedias when I was a young girl. And now to have the full change book series in my home office, I have read all of the chapters right up till the end of book 15. And, and like I said, book 16 is, is well on its way. Everybody writes with their passion and their emotion and their zest and their flavor for life and intertwined between the pages and all those beautiful words that they've written is a piece of their life that, much like you when you're interviewing, you turn the best of your interview person out on that interview, whether it's radio, TV, and just give them, you know, moments that can stop them in their tracks or emotion on something and and that's what I love because I find that there is a little bit of emotion in each one of these chapters because in 26 countries we've got such a diversified beautiful professional community of individuals so it's it's truly a joy because every week I'm somewhere different you're pretty close to me in Detroit Michigan you're two hours away but that is just so interesting to me because the chances of us meeting are great because we are close yeah, no question about it. And, and you know, living without passion and purpose can be more dangerous than a lack of financial success, in my opinion. And so finding that passion and finding your purpose and, and achieving that purpose, you know, that's more dangerous than not having an income, in my opinion. And so uh, that's one of the challenges of, of finding that and how do we voice that and get that out. Um, in answer to your question about age, I always like to use an old uh, country song that says I'm, I'm Old enough to know better, but too young to care. And so that's uh, that's kind of the adage that I have when approaching life. Well, I like that. So let, let me finish out your acronym for you with the letter S to end rules. And yeah, yeah. it stands for successful change for someone. So wrap this acronym up and tell us mindset around the S. Yeah, so what we have is R-U-L-E-S, you know, the refocus is the R, using the network, letting go, executing. What I found is that people in transition had someone, a mentor, so to speak, that they tapped into uh, to help them with that transition. It's different than the network. It's just this is one person that helps get you through where you want to get through. In other words, typically it's somebody that's been there or somebody that you uh, have a lot of faith in that could help you get to where you want to be. Um, as an example, I was talking to one of the Ford executives from Ford Motor Company years ago. Um, after all this recession and everything hit here, I asked the Ford executive, I said, well, what was one of the things that, that helped you get through this transition? You know, everybody else is struggling. All these companies are struggling. You guys seem to be doing okay in a sense that you're not having to take government money or anything. And one of the things that they said was, one, is that they had someone that they tapped into to help lead them through this troubled time. In other words, it was actually somebody that used to be with Ford left to go over to Chrysler and help Chrysler through 
uh, a very trying time. And they tapped into the, the, the Lee Iacocca to say, hey, you know, you've been through this before. What are some things we can do to start preparing and help with this? And so that's one example. I'll give you another example. There's a gentleman that's a good friend of mine. He played in the NBA for quite a few years and he had some knee injuries and uh, had to be done with playing basketball. But while he was still playing, he was enamored by TV. He just really enjoyed TV. And he started hanging out in one of the TV studios here in Detroit and just having one guy that he just started learning from. He said, hey, can I just come out and hang with you all day and watch what you do with TV? And as a result, he learned more about television and what he could do as a host. And now Greg Kelser, as a result, and is in his 28th year of TV broadcasting for the Detroit Pistons and having great success because he had a mentor early on that really helped him get to the next level. And so the question is who in your network would make a great mentor for you and your goals. And so it's not just one, not just a group of people. It's one person that might be in your network that would be a great mentor to say, Hey, this is my goal. So there's something that we can talk about to help me get there. Absolutely. And, and I always say to my clients, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? They may say, or they might even refer them to someone else in their network. Like you just never know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a networking is a huge part. And, and especially when you need a mentor or want to find a mentor, um, you never know how people are going to connect that. You know, I, I always believe God opens the doors he wants us to walk through. And so it's just a matter of being open to those doors as it's time to walk through them. Absolutely. So you have your TV show, who has been your favorite interview to date and why? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. I get to ask that all the time, Deb, and it's a great question. I've done 20 book interviews or interviews for the book and then 50 TV interviews for the show, and each of them have their own stories. In other words, each at that, I'm going to ask the same questions, but they all have different stories and tastes. I brought up about Doug Smith out of Ottawa, Canada, who Doug went from being a pro athlete to a quadriplegic in a heartbeat. And uh, what an amazing, inspiring story, because that isn't where the end of the story was. He ended up 14 years after that event. He literally learned about spinal cord injury, realized that his spinal cord was still intact, and started doing things through therapy and, and the research that he was doing to be able to walk again. Now, granted, he has some struggles sometimes, but um, you know, now he's a motivational author and speaker. So he's taken a tragedy and turned it to a triumph. We also have a gentleman that was a quarterback here with the Detroit Lions for 10 years. He was a quarterback back in the day with Barry Sanders and some of that crew. And, you know, Eric Kippel, when he was done playing pro football, his 15-year-old son committed suicide. His very well-established insurance business went bankrupt, and he spent 60 days locked up in Oakland County Jail for drunk, multiple drunk driving offenses. I mean, it was like a spiral after he was done with his transition. Uh, but that isn't where the story ends. I mean, and the good news is that he went through this process, and he said being locked up was one of the best things because it caused him to refocus. It caused him to start defining his goals and what am I doing. And, and now, as a result, Eric travels all over the world advocating about depression. He realized he had depression, and obviously his son had depression. And as a result, he's one of the biggest advocates for depression and helping people understand, hey, this is where you can get help, and this is what you can do. And, you know, me as an NFL quarterback had it, and obviously my son had it, and it's okay. We can talk about it. And so, you know, I could, I could go on and on about stories and, you know, some, some make you laugh, some will make you cry. And so it's, um, I, I really can't pick out one or two stories, but those are the two probably most impacting recently that I've done. Um, but they all have great, you know, uh, endings to them. That's the nice thing. We try to get athletes on 
that have had success or found success again some way or another. Well, and I've often got that as well with the Chainsaw Radio Show, and I, I love the way you framed it. And I don't have a favorite because everybody's coming from a different walk of life. They're all bringing a different backpack. They all have their own story and and how they frame it. And, and some of them are truly emotional, and we can go from, you know, really having uh, shed a few tears. So I love that you feel the same experience on your show and you look like you have a lot of fun with your height and that you're four foot 33 inches. How did that come about? Yeah. Well, when you're my size, you get asked often when you're in public, right? You know, the two big questions, how tall are you? Did you ever play basketball? Right. Those are the two questions. So, you know, having a sense of, I mean, you could handle it two different ways. One is you could be upset about it and, you know, not want people to ask you, or you can have fun with it. So I've decided to have a lot of fun with it. And probably it really all started when I was, student teaching many years ago during my undergrad I was in a first grade classroom and I had this little five-year-old kid asking me hey how's the weather up there how's the weather up there well I I, I decided that I didn't want to hurt him but I wanted to change his mind about ever asking me again so sure enough when he asked me one time this five-year-old kid I picked him up and I held him up over my shoulders and I said why don't you see for yourself and I sat him back down and he never said boo to me again and so, you know, you find different ways to handle it. And, and adults that ask me that, I can't lift them up. And so I'm not going to do that. But, um, you know, the, the coming out of how tall I am, 4 foot and 33 inches, for those of you that got a C in math, I'm 5 foot and 21 inches. For people that adhere to the metric system, I'm 2 meters, 6 centimeters. And for everybody that's failed math, I'm 6 foot 9 inches tall. Well, you have rehearsed that well because it rolls off your tongue very I I love it. It makes me think of the uh, the movie Arnold Schwarzenegger was in. I think it was Kindergarten. It's a great approach with those young innocent minds that aren't afraid to just say what's on their mind. So what what a good way to handle that. Well, yeah, no, I have a lot of fun with it. I want to thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, and I know that uh, you know the love and and the time and commitment. Being a founder and a producer and, and hosting a show. So, I want to thank you for taking the time today. And if you are driving through in Ontario, we'll have to get together. But I promise you, I will definitely come visit you in Detroit and just keep doing the great work that you're doing on your, your TV show and all the best in the future. No, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on the show and continued success for you and, and to your listeners as well. Thanks so much. You take care. You too, Deb. Just an honor to interview Kurt David from Changebook number three. I I love his chapter about changing and the acronym of the rules. I just love how he's speaking his career being a professional athlete and after retirement changed the way he's doing things and interviewing all-star and world champion just so great keep doing up the amazing work that you're doing kurt so i want to thank you for tuning in to the Facebook video show and i would love for you to listen and go and see our sponsor the injury network this is a free digital resource for you so if you know someone who has had a brain injury and when i say brain injury that could be from 
accident. It can be from a sports accident. It can be a brain tumor. It can be a brain aneurysm. Many, many things that brain injured can a brain injury can be called quote acquired unquote. So this is a very awesome sponsor this month. And David Grant, I thank you for your vision. David is a survivor, and I will be interviewing. And if you know someone who's a caregiver or is a professional working with someone with a brain injury, I would love for you to share the resource. It's tbihopeandinspiration.com. They have an amazing audio library that is continuing to grow and download some very interesting digital resources. And they also have a magazine that's for free, and you can subscribe and a month and you will read amazing stories about survivors and caregivers and just how families work through something like a traumatic brain injury. So this is Deb Crow from the Changebook Radio Show and I want to thank you for spending time with me on this Wednesday afternoon, this sunny hot Wednesday afternoon. So I'll be back with you next week, May the 9th, and I hope everyone has a great week.